Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Dead Time Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift, dedicated to telling just that. Short, scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Tonight, our host, Deadhead, shares with you six tales. Now, please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be... Mercurial. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Greetings, my little dads, and welcome to my humble abode. Tonight, I have five tales about coming home. The first story follows a woman who recalls a childhood prank her brothers played on her. I call this one the face in the gap. Okay, so I've always hated going home, but I hate it more when there's nobody there. Last year, my mother passed away after a three-year battle with cancer. It was hard. My father had died years before her, so she'd been living alone in the house, the house me and my brothers grew up in. I tried getting her into a hospice facility, but she didn't want to leave the house. I guess... I guess she was ready. She missed my dad, and she didn't want to spend the last days of her life being treated like an infant. I get it. I do. But that doesn't make it any easier. Okay. So I head to the house to start going through their stuff and start prepping it for sale. The house was left to all three of us, right? But nobody wanted it, and it was up to me, the youngest, to take care of things. Everyone was busy, I guess. I was between jobs at the time, so it wasn't a big deal. Except I hated that house. Or at least I hated being inside it. I hadn't actually been inside for... Well, it had been a very long time. It was an older house, but not too old. It had two stories and a basement, a backyard, nice kitchen. It was in a good neighborhood, you know, good enough. My brothers and I could walk to school, and even at night it was a fairly safe area. Perfect place to grow up, right? Wrong. It all started one bored summer when my older brothers were trying to scare me. They would do this stupid thing where they would ask me to come to the basement with them, and then they'd push me down, run up the stairs, and turn off the light, leaving me in total darkness. 
Not exactly clever, but definitely effective. Would scare the crap out of me every time. Well, one day, it was different. They called me down there, and instead of pushing me and running, they pulled out a book. It was an old book. Faded leather cover, stained yellow pages. Looked dirty. Then two of my brothers grab my arms and hold me in place, while the other holds up the book. I'm wondering what they're doing. Like, what? Are they going to read me a story? Huck a loogie in my face? What? I was so confused. So they open it up, and none of the pages have any words on them. They're all blank, except one page near the middle of the book. There was a small block of text that looked handwritten. They start reading it. It's just quick. It was just a poem. It was a kind of creepy poem, but nothing too extreme. They finish reading it, and then they let me go and say, we didn't want to be the only ones who see it. See what, I ask, and they start going back up the stairs. Then finally, Matt, the oldest, just says the thing in the poem. The poem was, well, it's, I don't know if I should say it, but I guess it's kind of hard to explain the rest without it. Okay, uh, so, all right, it, uh, it goes like this. Don't look, don't look, the face in the gap, it is not a dream. Hide, hide, hide your eyes, if you look, you'll scream. There. Okay, I, uh, I don't know if I should have said that, but yeah. The thing in the poem, the face in the gap, is the reason I didn't like our house. Ever since my brothers read me that weird poem, I would see it. Sometimes it would be through a crack in the door, or my closet was slightly ajar, sometimes even peeking through a twisted window blind. God, oh, those big white eyes and that, that thin black smile. It would just sit there, lingering in the corner of my eye and stare at me, grinning, hoping, wishing I would look back at it. But I never would. I, I never looked back. And I got real good at making sure there were no gaps around me whenever I was in the house. I'd close my doors, shut my windows, push my drawers in tight. Anything I could do to make sure I had no gaps. No gaps allowed. Did it every night. Every goddamn night just so I could go to sleep without worrying about waking up and seeing that thing waiting for me. My second oldest brother, Benjamin, he said he looked at it once, just briefly and I guess it started to come for him. He doesn't remember everything that happened, especially now that he's older, but he climbed out his second-story window to get away, ended up with a concussion and a broken arm. But, uh, at least he lived, I guess. Who knows what that thing does to you. Anyway, I was back in the house, cleaning, packing things up, you know, getting things in order, and, uh, I had kind of forgotten my old ritual. Going through everything, I mean, you're going to leave a lot of gaps. A lot. Then, I feel it. I can sense it there, peeking from a closet I forgot to close. I can't get a good look at it, of course, but it's almost like I can feel how much it missed me. Like it's shaking with excitement. I don't, I don't like to talk about it. Oh, God. I hate it. 
Right. So, I have to close the closet. I can't keep the gap there while I'm trying to separate clothes for donations and what to throw out. So I take a deep breath and start walking toward the closet without looking at it. I'm kind of, kind of looking off to the right as I approach it, and I can kind of see in the corner of my eye its eyes widening, and its grin getting bigger and bigger the closer I get. Then I... My foot catches on a dress strap, and I fall face first onto the floor. Right next to the closet. I still don't look. I... I cover my eyes with my hand, but oh god, it's right there. I can, oh, I can hear it. I can hear its breathing. It wants me so bad. It's waited so long and just wants me like I've never felt it before. So, so I have my face covered with one hand. Then with my other hand, I reach out and slowly push the closet door shut. And it was gone. The, uh, the rest of the weekend, I was extra careful to make sure there were no gaps. No gaps allowed. And I decided to stay at a hotel nearby so I could actually get some sleep. Everything was fine the rest of the time. But then I did something... something stupid. I went looking for that book. The one with the poem in it. I remember my brothers had buried it in the backyard after Benjamin got hurt so no one else would read it. So I, uh, I got a shovel from the shed and I dug it up. It wasn't hard to find. I opened it up and sure enough, just the one poem inside. And it was handwritten all right, but it wasn't in ink. Blood. The damn thing was written in blood. I don't know by who, but I didn't care. I put it on a charcoal grill, doused it with some gasoline, and burned it. Burned the thing away completely. I wish I hadn't, though. Oh, I really wish I hadn't. Now, the face in the gap shows up everywhere I go. I see it at home. I see it at work. I see it in hotels, friends' houses, bathrooms, my car. You name it. Everywhere I go, gaps. I can't avoid them all. No, there are, there are too many. I see it everywhere. Everywhere. I've set it free. And now you've heard it too, haven't you? The poem. Oh goodness, what have I done? What have I done? I'm so sorry. I'm... Do you feel it staring at you? There. It's there. Can't you sense it? Don't you feel those eyes watching you? As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu 
slash podcast. <laughs> you fell for it. Sorry, cadavers. I couldn't resist. You know me. Such a prankster. <laughs> Outbreak is coming. I suggest you close all doors and windows. Or you just might see those eyes watching you too. Closed all the gaps? Good. Our tale requires absolute silence. As Phil, our next guest, attempts to reconnect with an old friend in a story I call The Cowboy. I've always loved ghosts, ever since I was a kid. I'm not scared of them, but I haven't really seen one exactly, either. Well, sort of. I guess something about them just appeals to me. I think they're so cool. They make me feel like there actually is something after this life, you know? Which is comforting. To me, that's way better than everything just ending. Like, that's it, you're done. And I, I guess I always hoped I could make friends with one, like Casper or something. It's, I know, it sounds stupid, but I have a hard time making friends and keeping friends. And it would be nice to have a friend who always was there, always someone to talk to. At the very least, I really wanted to see a real ghost in person, like really bad. I have my mother to blame for that. (laughs) According to her, I could see them when I was a toddler. She always tells me the same story. My parents would put me to bed, then later on they'd hear something going on in my room. When they listen at the bedroom door, they'd hear me talking, well, trying to talk to somebody. So they'd open the door, right? And of course, nobody would be there but me. But I'd be standing in my crib and staring at the corner of the room as if someone was there. So they'd ask me who I was talking to, you know, playfully. And I would simply say, the cowboy, every time. Pretty creepy, right? We lived in a small town in the western state, so it makes sense that if I was seeing and talking to ghosts, they'd be cowboys or some such people. Maybe a lady in an old-timey gown or a gentleman in a bowler hat or like an Indian, uh, Native American, I mean. I don't know. And it's always made sense to me that really little kids can see ghosts. They're probably the only people ghosts feel comfortable appearing to. When you're that little, people don't scare you yet. You're too curious about the world, and the only people you know are your mom and dad, you know? Nice people. And I imagine most ghosts don't want to scare the hell out of the living, so they just prefer to not appear around those of us who would only shriek at them like they're some kind of hideous monster. I know I wouldn't like that much, even if I was dead. Anyway, I always wanted to see a ghost. Again, I guess. See one while I'm old enough to remember it. I did all kinds of things to try to see one. Haunted tours, seances, ghost hunts, and even mess with a few Ouija boards. But I got nothing. So I'd go home frequently in hopes my old friend the cowboy would show up again to say hello. I thought maybe I could show him that I was open-minded, that I wouldn't be scared of him. I tried everything I could. Each time I went home, I'd try something new. I did private seances, I did the Ouija board thing, I attempted to cast some kind of spells, I tried automatic writing, you know, the the thing where you just put pen to paper and start writing and hope the spirit takes over to send you a message. And each time I swore up and down that I wouldn't try to take a photo or record him or anything. Man, one night I heard the floorboard creak and I got so excited. I sat up in my bed and looked around thinking to myself, it's happening, but nothing came after that. A mysterious footstep, maybe the house settling, 
or probably just my dad sneaking into the kitchen for a midnight snack. Nothing worked, and I was starting to get depressed. I guess I was never going to see a ghost, not even one I supposedly knew my whole life. Then I had an idea. Maybe I needed to entice the cowboy, I thought. So I went home for the weekend again, and that night I poured a big old glass of whiskey. I put the whiskey on my nightstand, then I placed a brand spanking new cowboy hat next to it. A nice one. Cost me like $200. It was a ghost trap. Like I was trying to draw in some sort of spooky Santa Claus. I shut off the lights and went to bed early, sleeping away into a peaceful sleep. Around 3 a.m., I awoke to a strange sound. Someone was walking and something was jangling, like chains or something. No, spurs. The smell of sweat, leather, and farm animals tickled my nostrils. The cowboy was back. I opened my eyes and shot up to finally see him again. But by the time I had gotten my drowsy mind to focus, there was nobody around. The sounds were gone, so were the smells. Had I dreamt it? Maybe. But when I turned on the light, the glass of whiskey was broken on the floor, and next to it was the hat, like he had been standing there, sipping whiskey, wearing his new hat, watching me sleep, then just vanished. Who visits you while you sleep? Mull that over while we take our next break. Any of you cadavers have a treehouse growing up? Tim, in our next story, did. And he finds an object that reminds him how horrible it was in my forgotten toy. About, oh, five or so years ago, I went back home to take care of some things. My parents were getting ready to retire and were planning on moving out of the house my sister and I had grown up in. So, I got in my car one three-day weekend and drove the six hours it took to get to my hometown. I'd rather fly, of course, but no big deal. Nice little road trip. I hadn't been home in a while, and as I pulled up to the house, so many flashbacks. They just, they just came flooding in. The basketball hoop in the driveway where I spent hours upon hours plotting my future in the NBA. The open field behind my house where I caught unfortunate lizards and grasshoppers every summer. And then the treehouse in my backyard my dad had built for me before I could remember. It was a cool place that I could hide away from my annoying older sister who apparently took my stupid no girls allowed sign seriously. <laughs> Man, it's funny how just the sight of your old house can trigger some of your most deeply held memories. The brain is so weird. The first night I spent some quality time with the folks who you could tell were beyond excited to enjoy their golden years. Then the next day I decided to get out and start clearing things out. Ages ago when I left for college I'd moved most of my stuff out of my old room and into our well secondary garage where my dad kept his boat he never used. It was basically an exaggerated storage shed, but don't tell him that. I went through box after box, separating things into three different piles. Keepers, giveaways, and trash. My trash pile was, well, pretty small since I was finding it hard to part ways with a lot of my old trinkets and toys. You know, the action figures that I'd hoped would be worth some money, rare comic books that I wanted to impress my friends with, and 
a surprisingly large amount of my old homework. I guess I was proud of my grades back then? I don't know. You'd have to ask 12-year-old Tim why a B-minus book report was worth keeping. <laughs> then inside one of my toy boxes, I found another smaller box. It was made of wood, like nice wood. Maybe a jewelry box that my mom had given me at some point. I opened it up and inside was this stone figurine of some sort. It kind of looked like a tree, maybe maybe a pine tree with a round trunk and a long pyramid at the end for the you know, the, the top part, like like if a, a caveman had carved it or something. I don't know, I'd never seen it before. Like, ever. But when I picked it up in my hand, it just, it felt familiar and pleasantly cool to the touch and somehow useful. Like how a spatula feels in your hand when you're cooking something. I don't know, it's hard to explain. So I took it inside the house and I showed my dad and I'm like, hey dad, what is this thing? Is it yours? I thought maybe it might be something of his that I had borrowed since he collected fossils and arrowheads from time to time. But he was sure it wasn't his. Said he thought it was mine. In fact, no, he was pretty sure it was mine. I told him I'd never seen this thing before in my life. But he shrugged it off and made some snarky comment about how you forget things when you're away for too long. Thanks, Dad. I wasn't sure if my dad was just messing with me, so I decided to look for my mom. She was in the kitchen making some fresh lemonade, and I hold up the figurine and I asked her about it. Without even looking up, she says, Oh, that thing? Yeah, I remember that. I'm baffled as she goes on to explain how I took it everywhere and even slept with it. What? She says, Yeah, look. She then goes to the den and grabs a photo album and starts pointing out photos of me holding the tree thing. What? Like, seriously, what the hell? At this point, I- I'm a little weirded out, so I call up my sister and ask her about it. Yep, she remembers the tree vividly. She recounts how she was never allowed to touch it, how I would take it with me while I caught grasshoppers and lizards and the occasional field mouse. And then she tells me how I'd always take it up into the treehouse and sit up there for hours. She said she'd spy on me sometimes and and hear me talking to myself. She said I was always mumbling about how I needed to be bigger and stronger. I always hated that treehouse, she said. Something about it just always creeped me out. I asked her why and she just said it felt like something was in there. Later on, I spent the evening doing my family's usual ritual. We were all sitting in front of the TV, watching something terrible. Most of the time it was some old sitcom episode my mom had seen dozens of times, or my dad falling asleep to a history doc. That night, it was a cheesy game show. But I was lost in thought. What the hell was that figurine? I mean, did I make it in art class or something? And and what had I been doing up in the treehouse? I asked my dad how old I was when he built it. He looked at me bewildered and No bullshit said, I didn't build it, was here when we bought the place. I just stared at him, waiting for him to tell me that he was kidding, but he never did. And then I looked to my mom, hoping she would burst into laughter and say, gotcha. Nope, she just nodded. Then asked if I wanted any dessert, cobbler. But I wasn't hungry. I went to my bedroom and I grabbed the figurine. 
still cool to the touch, still comforting. With the thing in hand, I marched out the back door and into my backyard. The moon hung low, so it provided enough light for me to make my way to the treehouse. Then I climbed. The inside looked as if it hadn't been touched since I moved away to college. Leaves, dirt, and even feathers blanketed the floorboards. Seemed several small animals had made this into their home over the years. Towards the back of the treehouse, the thick trunk of the tree stood like a column in an ancient Greek temple. It's majestic and worn. The bark was cracked and split like dry lips, and and a deep hole stared back at me. I, I'm sorry, I'd, I'd, I don't like talking about this. Uh, Hold on. Okay. Okay, yeah. So, I pulled the rest of my body into the treehouse and I started to crawl. God! Squirrel just darted out from behind the board and into the tree's hole and the tree's eye. Jeez. After catching my breath, I I crawled further into the treehouse. It, it, it felt nice. Like, like it was peaceful. It was right. Then a squeal came from the tree hole up, and blood started to trickle out of the tree's eye, and it... No, 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 it wasn't an eye, but it was a mouth. Then I heard a voice. You've come back, it said, and you've grown big and strong. I, I stumbled back, startled. I've, I couldn't believe my damn ears, and then, then the voice came again and said... Now you can finally bring me something bigger to feed on. Then the stone figurine, it it, it, it vibrated in, in my hand. It, the, the tree, or, or is it? I, I turned it upside down. A dagger. The trunk it held in the treetop, a worn stone stake. Suddenly, I remembered everything. I used to talk to the tree. I, I used to feed it. I used to feed it bugs and small animals. And now, it wanted more. A lot more. It wanted my family. It always did. Forgotten toy. It was his old playmate he should have remembered. And here's a reminder that we have another break. Have you ever met a guy named Glenn you could trust? Neither have I. Sandra, in our next story, is forced to stay in a strange house with her mother's new boyfriend, Glenn. This one is called A History of Ceremony. When I was a sophomore in high school, my parents got divorced. For a while, I lived with my dad in a trailer park just outside of town, but it didn't last for very long. He drank a lot, and he was hardly ever home, either working late or spending time at the bar doing whatever. One night, I was home alone watching a movie with the lights off when somebody broke into my dad's trailer home. He had a gun, a pistol, and he made me get in the closet while he went through all my dad's stuff. The police came, and my dad came home reeking of booze, and he somehow knew exactly who it was that did it. Said it was some guy he got in a scuffle with at the bar a couple of nights ago. It was payback or something? I don't know. 
All this stuff happened, and the court decided it was safer for me to go live with my mom instead. I didn't want to, but I didn't have a choice. She lived out in the middle of nowhere in this tiny sort of town. The kind of place where I had to get on a bus really early in the morning, then ride it for like an hour to get to school. It sucked. Worst of all, my mom was living with her new boyfriend, Glenn. I didn't like him at all. Pretty much blamed him for my parents' divorce. I know now that it wasn't that simple, but at the time he was like my greatest enemy. I could tell he didn't like me much either. Thought I was some stupid kid that was just going to get in the way of his and my mom's fun. I had been to the house a couple of times before to visit, but never stayed over. Now I had a room there, in this dingy old house that looked like it belonged to the Adams family or something. So I'm unpacking my stuff in my room, and Glenn comes in and asks me if I'm finding everything okay. I'm like, yeah, it's fine, just kind of trying to get him to leave or whatever. And then he starts talking to me about the house. He says it's pretty old, and that it used to belong to this pastor that ran the local church way back when. Okay, weird, I say. And he takes the hint and leaves. Later, at dinner, my mom gets up and leaves the dining room and starts doing the dishes in the kitchen, and Glenn starts going on about the house again. He's like, that pastor, he used to perform exorcisms in this house, you know? And I'm like, okay, whatever, dude. But he just keeps telling me stuff. That the house was really cheap when he bought it, something about how the pastor's church burned down mysteriously, and that the pastor used to perform the exorcisms right in my room. I'm in high school, so of course that's going to scare me a little, even if he was just being a jerk. I mean, I had seen enough horror movies to know that was all not so great stuff. So that night, I do something weird. I clear out my closet, which was a really big walk-in actually, and I pull my twin mattress in there to sleep on. It was a huge pain though because I had this bead door set up there since there was no actual closet door and the mattress kept catching on it. Anyway, I thought, he didn't do exorcisms in the closet, right? So it should be safe, right? Well, I put on my headphones and fall asleep, but at some point in the night I pull them off like usual and I hear my bead door like it's moving and making noise. So I open my eyes and look to see what's going on, and it's dark. Not so dark you couldn't see anything, but pretty dark. And I swear to God, no bullshit. I saw a hand reaching through the beads. It was shaking as it slowly came further and further in my closet. I couldn't believe my eyes. I was so stunned. I couldn't even scream. It was crazy. More and more, it reached in, to the point that it seemed like it was longer than a normal human arm could be. Then my breath finally came back to me, and I scream as loud as I can. <coughs> then, the hand zips away, and my mom comes running in and turns on the lights. She's like, what? What is it? And I tell her there was a ghost hand, and she immediately gets super pissed and tells me to stop watching scary movies and go to bed. Yeah. So this goes on for a while, weeks. I'm asleep, then the sound of my bead door wakes me up. Almost every night, except Sundays. Other stuff starts happening too. Like I'd be in the basement and hear footsteps upstairs, even though nobody would be home. Things would move when I wasn't looking. A cupboard would just slam shut when nobody was close enough to reach it. Really creepy shit. And all the while, Glenn would talk about the stuff he sees too as long as my mom wasn't around. 
and part of me was wondering if he was the one doing all that stuff. Like he was trying to scare me to make me go away. Anyway, I'm not handling it all very well, so I start sleeping in the living room with the TV on every night. I'd wait for my mom and Glenn to go to sleep, then I'd sneak out there and turn it on at low volume and finally get some rest. Well, one night my mom catches me out there and I try to explain to her that I'm terrified, but she doesn't believe in that stuff, so she gets mad and makes me go to my room and go to bed. So I get in my closet and pull the covers over my head like a little kid and try to fall asleep. Sure enough, I wake up later on and hear the beads smacking against each other. So I try to ignore it. I'm like, nope, I'm staying underneath, I'm not looking at it, I'm not doing anything. Suddenly, my blanket gets ripped off me and goes flying away through the doorway. And I can hear footsteps like really heavy footsteps run down the hall. Then, <laughs> I didn't know what was going on. I was terrified. I got up and ran to my mom and Glenn's bedroom and knocked on the door. Then Glenn came out going, what's going on? What's all that noise? And I start telling him when he grabs me and pulls me close. I'm confused for a moment and I look at his face and he's staring down the hall. So I look down that way and there's my blanket draped over someone standing in the hall, looking right at us. Before either of us could say anything, poof, the blanket dropped, and there was nobody there. My mom got up after that, and Glenn lied, saying we thought we heard an animal going through the trash outside, but it was nothing. Glenn let me sleep in the living room with the TV on that night, even gave me his cross necklace and some pepper spray so I'd feel safe. He pulled me aside the next day and told me he knew the place was haunted. He'd known it since the first night he moved in. But he couldn't afford to move yet, and he knew my mom hated hearing about that stuff, so we never talked about it to her. Didn't want to scare her off, so to speak. I realized he was... he was trying to warn me before, not scare me. Glenn and I actually got close after that. He and my mom got married, we moved into a new not-haunted house... But I'll never forget the sound of that thing reaching through those beads. Never. Well, I guess Glenn wasn't so bad after all. And I promise, Cadavas, this next break won't be so bad either. middle of the night and find yourself in a puddle of your own sweat. Christina in our next tale does, but she'll discover there's more to it in Night Sweats. I am, um, I don't want to use my real name, so I'll just call me Christina, okay? <laughs> yeah. This was when I was about 13 years old, I think. I was in middle school for sure. It was Thanksgiving and my mom and dad wanted to host the whole family, a big get-together. Not something we usually did, but they wanted to make it special. I don't know. My grandma was getting older, so maybe it had something to do with that. Whatever. Anyway, everyone was staying with us for a long weekend, even my uncle. I won't say his name. He was my mother's brother, and I always liked him when I was little. We'd play and wrestle, and he'd chase me around the yard and stuff. But I hadn't seen him in years. He had just kind of disappeared for a while, I guess. My mom hadn't talked about him or anything. But then out of the blue, I heard he was coming to our big family Thanksgiving. 
so I was excited. A big part of that was because he always gave me really cool gifts. Like, my grandparents would give me money and other relatives would get me toys or whatever. But my uncle always brought me really unique items that you couldn't just grab off a shelf. One time, he got me this handmade doll from an Indian reservation that looked kind of looked like a monster. Another time, he brought me some dice that were made from animal bone. Stuff like that. I was always into creepy stuff as a kid, and he was the only one that really recognized it, you know? It was cool. This time, he brought me a record. A vinyl or whatever. I had been listening to my parents' old vinyls on a new record player I got at this, like, hip store at the mall nearby. So he must have known somehow. My mom must have told him what I was into or something. I don't know. So I open it up. He always wrapped my gifts, which was cool, too. I open it up, and the record sleeve is just this really old brownish paper with a man's face on it. I'm like, okay, (laughs) is that the singer or what? Then I pull out the vinyl, and it looks, like, really bad. Like, it's kind of gray instead of black, and it's not really shiny. There was a ton of bumps and scratches. Then my uncle smiles and is like, that's a person. And everyone is like, what? And he's like, when that guy died, he had his ashes pressed into a vinyl. That's him. So everyone kind of freaks out, especially my mom. And they're all worried I'm going to be like horrified of this thing. But I'm not. I love it. I give him a big hug, thank you. And he kisses my head, says you're welcome. It's all good. Everyone goes back to talking about how long it's been since they'd all seen each other or whatever. But me? I immediately go to my room and try listening to this dead guy. It sounds like nonsense, of course. Then my uncle comes and tells me they tried to press him into his favorite album, but it didn't take. Scattered the rest of his ashes in a lake or something. Anyway, we listen to it for a bit, and occasionally it sounds like music, but not really. Oh well. Still really cool though, right? But that night, I didn't sleep very well. When I was younger, I used to have night sweats, where I'd have like sleep paralysis or whatever it is, and wake up all sweaty and scared. I would feel like someone was on top of me. Sometimes I'd wet the bed. Yeah. Well, it started happening again that night. I was kind of half awake in the dark, like pitch black. And I feel like someone was on top of me. I wanted to scream out, but I couldn't. Then when the pressure finally went away and I could move again, my face would be all wet. I was sweating like crazy, like drenched. So I'd have to go to the bathroom and wipe off all the sweat. I was too scared to go back to sleep. The next morning at breakfast, my parents asked me why I was so tired. I was yawning and stuff, so I told them I was having night sweats again and waking up all scared and wet. My mom, she didn't say anything, but my dad was just like, oh well, remember the doctor said it's just a phase, and he poured me some more orange juice. That afternoon I took a nap, then I woke up. I decided I shouldn't keep that creepy vinyl in my room. I thought maybe there was like some sort of weird energy or a ghost attached to it or something, and I was putting myself in a bad position. I took it to the garage and put it in a storage bin, but my uncle noticed me doing it, and he got kind of sad. He asked me why I didn't like his gift and what did he do wrong and stuff, and I just didn't say anything. But he pushed for an answer, so I told him I liked it, but I didn't want it in my room when I slept because I was scared. And he was like, yeah, well, maybe it's haunted. Later on, I heard my mom arguing with him. I think maybe she was upset that he told me it was haunted. I don't know. I wasn't trying to hurt his feelings or anything. I just just wanted to sleep, but it didn't help. That night, the same thing happened to me. Half awake, I couldn't move. I felt pressure on my chest, my arms, my legs, like like I was being pinned down. My face was so wet with sweat, it was crazy. I didn't even sweat that much in PE class. Was whatever attached to the record attached to me now? Was there no escaping it? What do I do? When I finally was able to wake up all the way and get up, I cleaned up again and went out to the living room. Thankfully, my uncle was up watching TV, so I joined him. We had a good time watching old cartoons and eating Thanksgiving leftovers. I couldn't sleep still, but, well, 
I don't know, I felt less scared since I wasn't alone, you know? The next day, I was really tired again and kind of freaked out, so I decided to go for a walk, clear my head. But I couldn't take my mind off of what happened the last two nights. I couldn't figure out what was happening to me. I felt so helpless and so, so vulnerable. Like this thing that attached to me just wanted to make me suffer. Then I started to get angry. Like, I wasn't going to just let this thing, whatever it was, win. I went home, grabbed the record from the garage, then took it into the backyard and smashed it. I used to rock and just like bashed it over and over again into a million pieces. I felt bad doing it. My uncle tried to get me something cool, but I just couldn't anymore. I couldn't stand being so scared every night. I was afraid to sleep. Afterward, I felt better. That night, I slept fine for a while. But it happened again. Pressure, sweat, and this time... I could hear things, too. I could feel my face. I could feel it get wet and cold. I wanted to scream so bad, so bad, but I couldn't. I couldn't do anything. Then I heard someone yell out in the hallway. It was my mom. She was yelling about something, and I felt the pressure release, and then light. Light came rushing in when my door opened. Then, then soon, my dad rushed in and asked me if I was all right. But all I could hear was my mom yelling, and then a car outside. One of the cars parked out front started up and drove off fast, like like really fast, like in the movies. My mom started crying and, and my face was still wet. So my dad, he started to wipe my face off and I'm like, I'm sorry I sweat so much, dad. And he says, it's not sweat, honey, it's, it's saliva. My uncle had been licking my face. Oh, yuck! What a sticky situation. Nothing like going home to remind you why you left. Well, it's time for you to leave me too. I hope you enjoyed our five stories about coming home. And you come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. <laughs> Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs> You've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The five stories you've just heard were written by Patrick Allen LaFoon. Tonight's production starred Todd Lights, Fiona Dorn, Kayla Jeffries, Gogo Lomo David, and Todd Denson. With editing by Andrea Listenberger. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time, farewell.